Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs 6. The guys have some Bibles as they make their way to the back. Just let them know you need a Bible. They'll get one of those to you. Marked for you at Proverbs 6. Keep that Bible as our gift. Proverbs chapter 6. Last month, our leadership team, couples, had an overnight retreat where we discussed several of the principles that have guarded and guided our church over its life so far. Some of those principles are, one is the team, the team, the team. That's actually a quote from the legendary and late Michigan football coach, Bo Schembechler. My, we could use him now. The idea is that every decision we as a leadership team make is to be for the benefit of others, the congregation that God has called us to lead. Another is that leaders motivate by vision more than commands. That is, we seek to expand the vision of those we lead so that they see where we're going and they want to help us get there. Don't reinvent the wheel. This requires the humility to accept that others have done it better or at least as well as we could. Don't wait until it's perfect in order to start. Every endeavor can always be improved, so waiting until it's perfect means you'll never begin. And if you cannot follow, you're not qualified to lead. All who are in authority are also under authority. And we must demonstrate the ability to submit before we ask others to do the same. Another of those principles that we went over together last month was don't wait until it's broke to fix it. Now, we've all heard the conventional wisdom, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But if you know it's going to break, then in fact you should take measures to avoid foreseeable problems. So the idea is make changes today for issues that you know will arise tomorrow. So, for example, as a church grows, there are identifiable stages that that church will go through, with each stage having its own challenges and requiring preparation for that next stage before you actually get there. To state it another way, we need to look ahead at the road that God has put before us and prepare to travel at miles before we arrive. The Bible extols that kind of forward thinking in the passage that I've asked you to turn to. In verse 6 of Proverbs 6, we're told, Go to the ant, consider its ways, and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, and yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. The description of the ant's activity shows that although it appears that it has no leader, even though it actually does have organization and cooperation, if you've ever seen ants work, it provides for the future and does so with great industry. The classic example of such wise foresight is seen in the story of Joseph in Genesis 41. Many of you know that story. But Joseph knew that a famine was coming, and so he made preparations for it before it ever happened. And so when it did, he was ready, unlike most of the other people in the region. Churches need to do the same. They need to prepare for the future. And in a three-week series beginning today, we want to start the new year together by doing that very thing. 
So let's ask God to help us as we do. Father, we are here now at the beginning of a new year. We thank you, Lord, for sustaining us and blessing us over the past year. All that's been accomplished in gospel success is due to you. Lord, now as we look toward the next year and serving you together and advancing your mission, we ask you to grant us wisdom as we consider that we need to prepare for the next phase and phases that are coming up not only in this year, but in the years to come. So help us today and over the next couple of weeks as we do that very thing. Grant us wisdom in order to implement uh, items within the structure of your work that will help us to get there in a way that pleases you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, over our church's 17 years, we've annually offered what we call a servant seminar in the spring. And that's been on a Sunday morning and then and, and afternoon. And then we would offer the same thing again the next day on a Sunday uh, afternoon and evening for those who were unable to make the Saturday session. And in those servant seminars, we would go over our plans for the far and near future. Those sessions have over the years been reasonably well attended, but over half of our membership over the years has been able to attend. But that means that there's been a significant number who have not been able to do so and so are really unaware of our plans. And so we've decided to move those sessions to Sunday morning at the beginning of the year like we're like we're doing today in order to inform the greatest number. So this is a little bit different, and it will be a little bit different over the next uh, couple of weeks as we do that. Uh, I apologize to those of you that are new. You're not going to see our normal approach to opening a passage of Scripture and going through that in a series together. We will, after this series is completed, on the 20th, on January the 20th, we will start a new series in the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. But for these next three weeks, we're going to be looking at what we believe God has called us to do and some plans that we have in order to make that happen. Now, before we look at these far and near objectives, though, I want to take some time to justify doing this kind of planning at all, because some of you may wonder whether it's really a legitimate pursuit. As I've said, these next three weeks are different from what we normally do on Sunday morning, but I do believe there's ample biblical precedent and principle to commend these sessions that we're going to have together. So we've provided for you, as we do each week, an outline to follow along. That's on the back of your program that you should have received on the way in. So I encourage you to take a look at that now. And relatively quickly, I want us to see that the Bible has principles and precedents for the very thing that we're doing here. The first of which is this, the Bible commends planning. Now, one reason I feel the need to justify doing this today and the next couple of weeks is because I've noticed over the years a myth regarding the early church that sees the early church as somehow unburdened by administrative details. And this view of the early church is a myth that's been produced by two facts. The first is that the biblical account of the early church is presented as a narrative rather than a how-to manual. You find that primarily in the fifth book of your New Testament, the book of Acts. We're going to see some passages there, but it's put and set in a narrative form, telling the story of the progress of the church. It's not a how-to manual, it's a narrative. And secondly, the events of several years are compressed into a few relatively short verses in the book of Acts. 
And the result of all of that is the illusion that things just happened. So as you read through the book of Acts, if you don't take that into consideration, that it's a narrative, it's not a how-to manual, and secondly, that you've got a few decades, actually, of of history uh, compressed into just 28 chapters in the, the book of Acts, then it'll look like things were just happening automatically. And you don't recognize that in between, there was actually a lot of effort that needed to be put into planning some of what happened. And we see clues about that even in the book of Acts. And so I say in your outline, the Bible commends planning. The early church engaged in meetings. Meetings were a necessary part of the ministry of first century churches. The book of Acts reveals that a number of such meetings were held on a number of occasions to address different issues. In Acts chapter 6, there was the issue of service, benevolent service ministry to the widows in the church at Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 11, there was the question of accepting Gentiles into what up to that time was a completely Jewish church. In Acts chapter 13, they met together for the commissioning of the first missionaries. Acts 15, they dealt with the question of requirements that were to be placed on Gentile converts who they had decided, rightly of course, should be welcomed into the church. So even though the Bible only highlights the major events of the early years of the church, we should not conclude that the church functioned without extensive planning. The evidence from the record of the book of Acts shows the opposite to be true. And so the Bible commends planning. The early church engaged in it. And it engaged in implementation as well. They not only discussed things that needed to be done, but they also determined how to accomplish or to implement those plans. For example, when they met to address that problem in Acts chapter 6 regarding the benevolence to the widows in the church, they solved the problem by implementing something. They implemented the office of deacon. And so here's what the Bible tells us in Acts 6. The twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables, brothers. Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. And thus was begun the office of deacon that we we know today. They implemented a plan to solve the, the issue. So they engaged in meetings. They implemented the things that they came up with as a result of their deliberations in those meetings. And the early church engaged in evaluation as well. So they would meet, they would plan, they would implement, and then they would evaluate how things how things went. At the close of the first missionary journey, recorded in Acts chapters 13 and 14, Paul and Barnabas returned to the church in Antioch, that is the church that had sent them out, and they presented the details of their ministry among the Gentiles. Here's what the Bible says. On arriving there, that is in Antioch, they gathered the church together and they reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. The Jerusalem Council meeting recorded in Acts 15 was designed to further evaluate the information that was presented to the church in Antioch. Here's what it says. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. And so you have a number of examples of the Bible commending this idea of planning, of getting together to deliberate what it is we're supposed to be doing. 
to then implement those plans and then to evaluate those plans as well. And so the Bible commends planning. But secondly, the church requires planning. The Bible commends it and the church requires it. Now, the church requires it for this reason. The church is an organization. Now, sometimes you'll hear people say things like, the church is not an organization, it's an organism. Perhaps you've heard that. An organism is a living entity. That's, that's certainly true. It's the body of Christ, and the Holy Spirit animates the life of his people and the life of, his, of God's body, Christ's body. That's all true. It is an organism, but it is also presented in Scripture as an organization. It has all of the earmarks of an organization. It has objectives it's to achieve. It has responsibilities that God has to be carried out. It has got offices that have been designated in order to lead in the carrying out of those. It is an organization. Now, it's much more than an organization, but it's not less than that. And all organizations run the risk of falling into complacency. That is, failing to see what's coming and then planning accordingly. The vast majority of churches are today, by all measures, either declining or plateaued. Did you know that? They're either declining or they've plateaued. And even if they plateaued, that means they're in the process of dying. Did you know that? Because if you're not growing, you're dying by nature. Because every organization, including the church, is going to have some form of attrition. People are going to go. People are going to pass away to be with the Lord. People are going to relocate. And so if you're not then growing, you are in the process of dying. And that means the church requires planning as an organization. And that's why every year that we've had these servant seminars, we've presented something called Keeping the Dream Alive. And I'm going to show that uh, to you today. So many of you, therefore, have seen this because you've been to our servants' seminars, but some of you have not. But we do it every year because uh, I believe strongly that it's uh, worth reiterating. And so here's the, here's the idea, that a church, like any organization, has a life cycle to it. And the life cycle begins with a shared dream. So the people who are part of that organization, in this case a church, in this case for us, CBC, a little over 17 years ago, getting together with a core group of seven adults to think about what God would accomplish and could accomplish through us in the years to come. And so you have that shared dream together. And then based upon that shared dream... The group gathers around shared beliefs and values. In the case of our church, very early on, we presented three values. These are on our website uh, to this day, and they've animated what we do here. Truth, community, and service. And we gather uh, around those, and we've tried to implement those. We established then goals. That's what any organization that's getting started does. They establish goals and timetables. We developed Early on, a 15-year plan. And I'm going to share with you a little bit our now 10-year plan that we're two years into and some of the things contained in it. But early on, we put together that 15-year that 15-year plan. So you establish goals. And then you develop structure in order to make it go. Programs, organization, in order to be able to get there. 
And then the pinnacle of all of this is ministry. You're able to actually engage in ministry together. And thank God we've been able to do that. Now, if it just ended there, everything would be great. But notice there's a downside on the slope. And almost every organization has a kind of enthusiasm about it. That's why people join it at the beginning and they share that dream and those beliefs and we set those goals and you put that structure together and all of that happens and everybody's excited about it. But then over time, if you just fall into complacency, now what happens? Well, then you get nostalgia. Hey, remember when we used to... And then you're just in the nostalgia phase for a while. Remember how cool it used to be when we had all these young people coming to the church and we had all this stuff going on? And then you let that go long enough and then it goes into questioning. Well, why aren't we? What happened to all that? Whose fault is it? And when you start then to decide whose fault it is, that results in polarization. People have different sides about what went wrong. It's the pastor's fault, usually. Somehow it's the leadership's fault, or it's this program that we decided to do or failed to do, or whatever it was. Polarization. And then you let that go long enough, and then you get dropout. And this is the very cycle that organizations go through, but churches as an organization go through as well. So what's the solution to that? Is it inevitable that that's what's going to happen? Well, thank the Lord, no. You can do the dreams and then the beliefs and values and the goals and the structure and the ministry. But rather than going down on the downslope then into nostalgia and questioning and polarization and dropout, instead of doing that, when you're at the pinnacle of that, when you're actually doing ministry, then remind yourself of what it was we're supposed to be doing. You dream again. You say, let's remind ourselves as to why God has placed us here and what it is we're seeking to accomplish for him going forward. And then you renew those beliefs and values and set renewed goals and develop structure and then engage in profitable ministry. That's the right way to do this. The church requires planning and it requires planning for that very reason. And then thirdly, The mission advances with planning. The great commission that we've been given, the mission to expand God's glory in his world through the advance of the gospel, through planting churches in this region and beyond, that is in a nutshell the great commission and how it's carried out, but that requires planning. It's advanced only through planning. The great missionary of the first century, the Apostle Paul, had an itinerary. He planned what he was doing. He planned his mission. He didn't haphazardly undertake his missionary journeys. In fact, if you look at the places to which Paul went on those multiple missionary journeys, you'll see that he went intentionally to population centers. He went to places where they were on trade routes, where there were large populations of people, so churches could be planted there, and then in turn, those churches could plant others and influence an entire region. He did that deliberately. He would set an itinerary. We see that in the way he did his missionary journeys, and on one occasion, the Holy Spirit somehow intervened to change his plans, indicating that indeed he had such plans. He didn't just roll with it. It didn't just happen. He planned it. 
Acts chapter 16 says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. So apparently he had planned to do that. God redirected his steps, which of course is always God's prerogative. But Paul had a plan and he sought to carry that out unless the Lord changed those plans. He visited these population centers and when he was in these population centers, he followed intentional steps in what some have documented as the Pauline cycle. Then in every one of these cities he went to, he did the same thing. And they call it the Pauline cycle. The audience that he was seeking to preach the gospel to was contacted. The gospel was communicated. Hearers, some of them were converted to Christ. Believers were congregated together in local churches. He built them up in their faith so that their faith was confirmed. Leadership was consecrated in order to be able to continue to disciple and nurture the new, the new church. Relationships were continued among Paul, the church planter, and those churches planted. And then sending churches were convened in order for them to do the same thing that had been done to them. To see the gospel go to others. And he had that intentional cycle over and over again. So from the very beginning then, our church has taken time to consider the future and to intentionally plan for that future. Now, as I said at the beginning, this has taken place in our annual servant seminars, at each of which I would always begin by reading an imaginary entry from my journal on a day at the end of that plan. Our first church plan was for 15 years, and it ended on November 6th of 2016, just over two years ago. And each year in the run-up to that date, I would read this imaginary journal entry for that day, November 6, 2016, which documented where we were by that time, and in turn, that gave us instruction on what did we what we needed to do in the years between in order to get there. That's what we did with our 15-year plan that, as I say, ended on November 6, 2016. Our current plan is a 10-year plan, and it ends on Sunday, September 27 of 2026. That's just under eight years from now. So the first was a 15-year plan. Now we have a 10-year plan, and I always say with regard to that, the older I get, the shorter the plans become. So here is what my imaginary journal entry for September 27 of 2026 says. This evening, we celebrate our 25th anniversary with our annual celebration dinner. We expect 400 adults to attend as our church now has 700 who are members or regular attenders. We're having the celebration dinner in our new auditorium because the gym slash fellowship hall, the old auditorium, will not seat that many for dinner. About 40% of those who've come to CBC in the last decade came to Christ through our ministry as we made contact with them through our evangelistic ministries such as Upward Sports, Christianity Explored, Home Study, Discovering God series, Worldview Discussion Sessions, and Intentional Outreach even through our in-reach ministries to children, teens, young adults, men and women. Others began attending by word-of-mouth invitation 
Hearing about us through our local cable TV program, mailers, door hangers, newspaper ads, yard signs, and other forms of advertising. Still others came because they saw our lighted building driving north on Fort, or they found material help through our community cares mercy ministries of food and clothing, or spiritual help through our family life ministries to parents, couples, seniors, etc., or via our community counseling center and recovering ministries. Still others read about us on Pastor Ken's Church Matters blog. Whether young or old in age or young or old in the Lord, all have been offered opportunity to grow through holistic discipleship that addresses mind, affection, and will. Each of our frontline ministries has a target objective of either learning, loving, or living in keeping with our church's mission statement, but all at least touch on all three of those. They have learned as their minds have been fed in children's ministries that have been taught through an intentional scope and sequence. Our teens have received thorough worldview training. Our adults have benefited from ongoing Bible education. But each demographic has also been given avenues to love God and others and live for his purpose. All have progressed in Christ-likeness on what we call the road to maturity, though, of course, at different rates. We've made use of our resource center for articles and DVDs and books as it functions as a not-for-profit bookstore to our members. But all of us have battled sin and its effects, so many have been helped by our crisis ministries for restoration in order to be put back on that road to maturity. The spiritual growth of our church has resulted in numerical growth, and that's necessitated a commensurate expansion of leadership. Our leadership team is now double what it was 10 years ago. Our pastoral team is now at eight, including pastoral interns. Most of those on both the leadership and pastoral teams have been trained in our own men's and leadership ministries. One of the interns is training for church planting. The second time we'll be sending out a trained planter with a group of 50 members as the initial core group. The first plant is in Huron Township. And CBC is seeking God's direction for the second location. In between, we participated in church planting efforts through a network of like-minded churches pooling resources to advance the biblical mission. Two weeks ago, we held our annual church health conference for pastors and leaders put on jointly by CBC and our church plant in Huron Township. We've also been asked to participate in three church rescue operations, whereby CBC provides a team to oversee the church's operation and nurture it it back to health. Last year, we had our third foreign missions trip as we visited the Shermans in Zambia, helping with projects at the Central Africa Baptist College there. This morning's message was delivered by our senior pastor designee as our intentional transition plan moves to its conclusion. That's been years in the making, and the congregation is alive with excitement and gratitude, confident that the Lord has provided the right man to lead his church forward. That confidence has come through a thorough examination of his character and doctrine and skills as he and his family have spent several years at CBC, serving and growing so that the church is united behind the leadership of, quote, one of our own. We went through a lot to get to this point. Some things we tried just didn't work out. We had to endure the pain of disciplining some disobedient members. We've experienced the sweet sorrow of losing some brothers and sisters to this life, but rejoice that they've gained their reward in the next. We had to remain steadfast throughout the latest fads and trends in ministry and the ever harder opposition of an increasingly secular society. 
But by God's grace, we are now an epicenter church whose faithfulness to the gospel is not only having impact in Trenton and the surrounding area, but in other regions of our nation and beyond. God has continued to provide the resources necessary to fuel the vision as his people have stewarded their resources, giving of themselves and their treasure, and many leave a financial legacy for the mission when the Lord calls them home. At 64, which is what I will be at the time that ends, at 64, I look forward with great anticipation to the Lord's work in the next five-year church plan. They get shorter every time. Now, what I just read to you, that imaginary journal entry from September of 2026, is available at our information center. So we've got a copy of that. It's just one page front and back. And before you leave today, you can pick that up and pray about that over the next several years as we as a church try to move forward together in it. And as you heard, as I read that, there's a lot packed into it and only about eight years to get as much of it done as we can. We know we'll probably not accomplish all of it. For our 15-year plan, we didn't get to everything, and some of it is carried over into this this new plan. But we were able to accomplish the vast majority of the 15-year plan. By God's grace, we hope to do the same with the 10-year. In 2018, last year, we chose to focus on some of the outreach components of the plan. So that's what we've done every year. We've reminded ourselves of the fifth end goal, And then each year take in two or three or four of the things out of that and said, let's try to do those in this coming year. And in 2018, we chose to focus on some of the outreach components of that plan. What I read to you mentions that many of the people we have at our church by 2026 will have come because, quote, we made contact with them through our evangelistic ministries and intentional outreach, even through our in-reach ministries to children, teens, young adults, men and women. Now, what that means is doing outreach through your already existing ministries to children, teens, young adults, men and women, and so on. What that means is leveraging those ministries so that each of them develops an outreach mindset and components to use what they already do to make contact with those who need it. And so this past year, we formed what's called an outreach influence committee made up of the leaders of all of those various ministries to brainstorm how each of them could do that. And that process has now begun and will continue. We also this past year renewed our focus on our outreach discovering God series on Sunday morning during the 11 o'clock hour, sending mailers to all of Trenton for three series every year, one in the fall, one in January and one just after Easter. This past fall, we did the series, You've Got Questions, God Has Answers. And three weeks from today, we're going to be starting a series from self-help to God's help. Mailers will be going out to the entirety of Trenton for that. As I said, each year we select two or three or four of the items embedded in the plan to focus on in the coming year. If we don't get one of them done, we just carry it over to the next. For 2019, I want to tell you some of the things that we're going to be pursuing. Plan mentions that our annual celebration dinner in 2026 is taking place in our new audit, our new auditorium. And did you notice as I read that it says that this room has become a gymnasium and fellowship hall. Now in order to get there in just under eight years, we have to start planning now. 
You see, uh, just as you look at the group that's here right now, uh, I would have to do the math on the number of chairs that are in here and how many bodies and what the percentage of bodies to chairs is, but uh, I can safely say it's going to be around 75%. And all of the statistics that you read tell you when you're at 75 or 80% full, you're full. And that includes parking, by the way. Some of you faithfully park on the street. Thank you. Keep doing that. The parking lot is routinely 90% full. So it's a good problem to have, but it's an issue that you can't wait to address. Because it's going to take years for us to be able to get the next part of the master plan for this building and the final part of the master plan put into effect. And that is an addition on the south end of the building with an auditorium and then this becomes a gymnasium fellowship hall. But that'll take years to do. So in the meantime, we have to then manage the parking and we have to manage. Because the assumption is in the intervening years, God willing, we're going to uh, reach more people. So that's why you have to, to start early. Two years ago at our servant seminar, we gave the attendees an aerial view of our property showing where we might place a small subdivision on five of our 15 acres. It's located to the the west of our building. It's where the baseball field is right now. That was two years ago. In the meantime, we haven't done anything more with it as as yet. But several weeks ago, I got a call at our office from a a realtor representing a developer who, it turns out, is interested in doing that very thing. We've reached out to the consultant that we've used over the years for all the property, real estate stuff that we've done when we bought this building Many of you know Jeff Daniel. We've had one meeting with Jeff about this possibility. We're trying to set up another in the next couple weeks in order to determine the best way to maximize the church's benefit from selling off a portion of the property, which in turn would give us a jump start on financing the addition down the road. We have some ideas about how best to do that, but we want to brainstorm all of them before coming to you with a recommendation. But we expect that we're going to have a recommendation in the next several months, so stay tuned about that. The plan also mentions that people have found spiritual help through what we call our family life ministries to parents and couples and others. That's another item we want to focus on in the coming year. To that end, family life ministry is set to begin in just four weeks from now, on Sunday evening, January the 27th. The plan is to offer that ministry to men, women, couples, and families on Sunday evenings throughout the year on the nights that we do not have our community home groups. As you know, those meet on the first and third Sundays of each month. We've been thinking about this for a very long time, discussing it with Pastor Rich and Tracy, who are going to lead Family Life Ministry for us. It'll eventually have a component for young married couples and home builder couples. It'll sponsor events for those demographic groups, including retreats for men, women, couples, and families. Pastor Larry and Julie will eventually join the Family Life team as they're in the process of training their replacement in leading the high-impact teen ministry that they've so ably led for so many years. The plan also includes uh, what what we're uh, called the Community Counseling Center and Recovery Ministry. That's another big project that requires planning for years before it's actually launched, but we've already begun that planning and we'll continue it into the next year. This past year, our pastoral team and one other CBC couple attended biblical counseling training 
in part is a necessary step in that direction. I've identified the consultant and I've actually communicated a number of times with him the, the person that I believe that we'll be using over the next few years to help us establish that center, including using this person to oversee training of our biblical counselors. We may well have, his name is Rick Thomas, into CBC for some of that training uh, that you'll be invited to in this coming year. And then the plan also mentions our senior pastor transition. Those of you who have been to our last couple servant seminars and even some of our recent quarterly congregational meetings have heard me talk about this. A fair number of you have not been able to attend any of those, so it's all new to you. So with regard to that senior pastor transition, that's really only about me working in tandem with the leadership team to determine who that person will be and when that transition will take place. We've set that for around seven or eight years from now, give or take a few. But if we're going to have someone in place by that time, we have to start planning for it now because we want that candidate to spend several years here so that both he and we are comfortable with the transition. So I'll tell you the progress that we've made on that. But before I do, let me make sure everyone is clear on why we're doing it and what it'll mean. We're doing it because too many churches fail to plan for transition. And when a long-term pastor retires or leaves, they're left wondering what to do, and very often the church suffers as a result. Also, a church tends to age with its pastor. The older the pastor gets, the older the congregation gets. That's for a number of reasons, including the inevitable loss of energy as you get into your 60s. I'll be 57 in a couple of months. So that things slow down for the pastor and in turn the congregation and the younger people can end up being frustrated at the lack of progress and initiative. So we don't want any of that to happen here. So we started thinking and praying about this a few years ago. Now the plan is to identify a replacement, but I'm hoping to stay on staff as an associate pastor if that remains agreeable to the leadership team in the congregation. So for those of you who were hoping I was leaving, I'm sorry to disappoint you. And so I would remain and assist the new younger person because we don't have any plans to retire in the traditional sense. As a matter of fact, I don't think any of us retires from serving the Lord. And so we don't plan on on doing that. and We're not planning to move away either. And as I was thinking about this two years ago, a particular young man with whom I've had interaction over the years kept coming to mind. I didn't know what his future plans were, but I knew he was the right age at that point. A couple of years ago in his early 30s, so by the time we would make a transition, he'd be nearly 40. I was 39 when we started CBC, so he would have the real possibility of about 25 years of fruitful ministry as uh, we trust the Lord is going to give us. He's a graduate of our seminary. He served on staff at a church led by another seminary graduate and friend of mine. And in that context and some others, I would run into him over the years, and I was always favorably impressed. Well, in God's good providence, just under two years ago, I ran into him and his wife at a conference, and he asked me if I'd be willing to mentor him. He didn't know I was thinking any of this. And he goes, you know, would you be willing to do that? And we began meeting every couple of months, and for the first several of those meetings, I made no mention of our plans and how he might fit into those. I eventually did so, and he and his wife took several months to pray about it. And late in 2017, they told me that they would like to pursue this with us. In the meantime, then, in April of this past year, 
He and his wife came for dinner with Kim and me for us to get to know one another better. Kim approves. This is all very important. This past October, they were here for informal meetings with our leadership team and wives, and they all approve as well, at least in that preliminary way. Everyone hit it off quite splendidly. They'll be visiting CBC in the next year, and then the next couple years, the plan is, if all goes well, for them to come on staff, serve as an associate pastor for several years before any transition. And if for any reason they or we don't see a long-term fit during that time, then we'll each feel free to say so. But do you see, friends, we need to get started with stuff like that before it breaks? Suppose we get several years into this and we or they decide this is not a fit. All right, well, now we've got to start over again. So that's going to take some more time. So we don't want to come up on that time and not have a plan. So as you can tell, we've done a ton. We have a ton to do in the coming years. But I'm excited about every piece of it. And I hope you are as well. But friends, here's what we're going to need. We're going to need all hands on deck To see these gospel dreams realized. See, we can put it on paper, but in order to advance it, we've actually got to move it forward. And so that means every one of us needs to buy in and then be an active part of moving the Lord's work forward. It's our job to let you know what the goals are and implement ways to get there. But it is our part together to participate in seeing it move forward. So we need all hands on deck to see these gospel dreams realized. And therefore, the next two Sundays, I'm going to be appealing to you for what each of us can do to help advance these plans, Lord willing. So over the next three weeks, today and the next two weeks, let's make some resolutions collectively. The first of those resolutions is this. We are resolved to move forward together. I told you to where we're looking to move forward and the things we're trying to implement. And now just all we need to do is say, yes, Lord, I am resolved to being a part of moving forward together in that direction if you so allow. And the next two weeks, we'll have a couple of other collective resolutions for us. Here's your take-home truth. Proverbs 16.3 says this, Commit to the Lord... Whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. We need his wisdom. We need his aid. Except the Lord builds the house, the laborer's labor is in vain. So let's ask the Lord to help us and to give gospel fruit for these plans. Let's bow together. Our Father, we've come this far by faith. Leaning on you, trusting in your word, and trusting in your faithfulness to do all that you promise. Lord, you have never and you never will fail. And so because of that, we go forward with confidence because of your character, your faithful character. Because of what you've done in the 17 years of our church's existence now. My, how it's flown. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being a part of it. We thank you for allowing us to make these plans. And we try to make these plans in accord with the objectives that you have given to your church and your word. But Lord, we fully recognize that the 
The specific ways that we've chosen to do this, the methodologies that we've chosen are our plans. And so, Lord, we need your wisdom and we need your work in order to give fruit to them. And if any of these are not good for your reputation, your glory, not good for your people and your ministry, then, Lord, we ask you to change them. We ask you to work in the circumstances so that doors are closed to those avenues that we're pursuing. Help us along the way to do so prayerfully and humbly. We'll hold these objectives with an open hand before you, not with a clenched fist as if they must happen in our way and in our time frame. Lord, we put them before you and we ask you to bless them as you see fit. And as you did over the first 15 years, many things you allowed us to do, some things we were unable to do, but all that was accomplished is because of you, and we give you the glory. And Lord, we will do the same at the end of this now eight-year remaining process. Whatever you allow us to accomplish, we will have a celebration dinner, Lord willing, in 2026, and we will be praising you for what you have accomplished. Help us now, Lord, to resolve together to advance your work. And over the next couple of weeks, help each of us to be willing to resolve to fully participate in order to seeing it move forward. As a result of that, Lord, may we have joy in the journey and may you receive the glory you deserve through your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.